Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. Today's episode is with Yoni Weisberg and we talk about illustrations, his love of Liverpool Football Club, his day job and North Korea. Hope you enjoy this episode and here is a word from our sponsor before we get into the show. Enjoy. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Logo Package Express. I've been using Logo Package for a while now and it's really helped my export times and that in turn helps out my clients. The Logo Package has been a widely uh, talked about subject within the design community and uh, is used by all the top designers to speed up their exporting time. It's an extension for Illustrator that can automatically help you export, sort and organize hundreds of logo files in under five minutes. This is how easy it is to use Logo Package Express. One. Open up your logo file and set it in the extension. Two, adjust the settings and click make logo button. And from there, every logo variation can be generated from that single piece of artwork. Step three, click export and see all of your logo files exported neatly into an organized structure. Step four, send your logo package to your client and get back to doing awesome work. Now, if you compare that to your general exporting time and exporting all the files one by one, you've saved a lot of time by using Logo Package Express. Not to mention the handiness of it sorting itself out into a neat folder. Normally exporting your logo different variations, your logo type and your files would take more than an hour to do, but this with Logo Package Express takes under five minutes. Why would you ever want to go through that long process again when you've got Logo Package Express? Spend time making logos rather than exporting them with Logo Package Express. You can find a $20 discount via our Creative Waffle link down in the description of this podcast. Thank you very much. On to the show. Is recording uh, mine is as well and skype is just catching up there we go that's it we're into the podcast hey uh welcome um so i've been following your work for quite a while um and and for people listening uh it may be you're coming from the the illustration side as well so people may not know yeah. what you do as a day job which is um which is amazing when I looked it up, like you found your LinkedIn and found out what you did. It's just, I'll definitely get into it. But uh, for people who don't know who you are, could you tell us what your name is and what you do? Yeah, so my name's uh, Yoni, Yoni Weisberg, and uh, I'm a professional kind of TV and film director um, specializing in commercials. But then, kind of as a side um, to that, I do a lot of sports based illustrations that, you know, post online and, and sell prints of. Um, and I've kind of I've done graphic design. Uh, well, I guess since I was a kid, really, like I got my first Mac with Photoshop when I was twelve. Um, but oh, it's nice. always it's always been very much like just a, a little hobby that I drop into every now and then, just to kind of keep me entertained. And film stuff has always been the kind of the career. But over mm-hmm. the last twelve months, they've kind of started to overlap a lot more. That's that's interesting. So was it? I have to ask. Was it a cracked version of Photoshop, or was it the real one? Uh, you know what? I I, I presume it was a cracked one at the time because that was back in the day before creative cloud when you could quite easily get a yeah. proper decent ripped version of it um so I, yeah i can only presume it was a it was a cracked version i've, I've no idea how you get one now i mean it, there must still be the discs all right like someone's got a cs6 lying around somewhere that they give <laughs> yeah to that'd be great i remember when <laughs> when when cc first started there was still talk of um like you could still do it but it was quite a bit of hassle and you know I think a lot of people just gave up after a little while. Yeah, subscription ways. The whole world's subscription model now, isn't it? Like, there's nothing that we use on a daily basis we can't get on a subscription. I think even even like cleaning products on Amazon, you can get a subscription now. It's crazy. Absolutely, yeah. Because I think like I, it always reminds me of you know there's the um, there's the classic thing, isn't there, where 
they say when you're designing a product, you need to figure out what your razor blade is. Like you buy mm. one razor, but you replace the blade. And if you're not coming up with a product that keeps people coming back, then you're kind of doing it wrong. And I think whoever came up with subscription models for software just went, oh, I've got it now. We can now just rinse people for their lives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, I don't know, yeah. There's some part of me that agrees with them. I think, yeah, fair enough. I mean, we, you know, we're using the money to make, we're using the software to make a lot of money. So maybe we should be paying a fair bit of money to it. But, um, but yeah, if you compare it to other software like Procreate and think about how many people use Procreate and it's 10 quid and that's it. Yeah, mental. yeah. Yeah, I think I think with ever since I kind of became a professional, I've never really questioned paying for it. It's always felt like the value's really there. But I do think that there's a little bit of kind of a gap between your hobbyist and your, <clears throat> you know, your adept um, kind of not amateur, but just put somebody who's only doing it as a hobby because they enjoy it, and yeah. they still have to essentially stump up the same costs as the people who derive an income from it. Uh, so I do think there is something there, but then that's, I suppose that's where there are those other bits of software that people can use. It's just Photoshop is the brand name, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You see a photo that's been manipulated and so it's been Photoshop's like, it's almost like, yeah. I'm going to do the hoovering. Like, it's, it's, it has, it's <laughs> exactly, we've actually yeah. got one of those in our industry now. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. Wait, so, you, so you're in Manchester right right now? Yes. Yeah, cool. yeah. Do you get much stick from, uh, from, from being a Liverpool fan there? <laughs> I do, yeah. I mean, uh, I suppose it's funny because in professional circles, when I first started out, because um, some of my earliest directing gigs were for Man United, actually, um, I thought I'd just keep it on the on the quiet. Like, I wouldn't be too bold about it. Yeah. But one thing I learned, actually, and maybe I shouldn't even say this, but they all seem pretty fine with it, is like a lot of the higher-ups at the bigger clubs, obviously, because they're professionals and they're successful, they're not just there because they're United fans. They all support Spurs, City, Chelsea, yeah. Arsenal, Liverpool. So um, I realised quite quickly that uh, it's actually it's it's still exactly like it was on the playground. Like you know, except when there's a big match, it's all just a bit of banter and it's a bit of fun, and um, you do get you do get some stick, but only like light-hearted and you know, well well-spirited uh, jabs. Really, there was um, a period of time when I think I joined the company that I'm still with. Um, in 2012 and then during the 2013-14 season when um when we came tantalizingly close to winning the league mm. i had planned to go in in a full kit if we'd won <laughs> if we'd won the league because because fergie had retired the season before so united fans were quite downtrodden if we'd won the league i was going to go in head to toe in a liverpool kit and i, ne- I never got the chance ever you didn't do it last year well no because we weren't going in uh, of course yeah shit yeah, maybe I would have done, but it it wasn't even yeah, it wasn't even there as a thought because we just weren't going in. In fact, actually, um, I was working, but the night we won the league, I was in um, Stansted Airport because I was just I was doing some work for um, for Jet Two, uh, filming at Stansted Airport, and so yeah, I was watching the Chelsea City game in a hotel room on my own with a beer. <laughs> did you, how did you celebrate that win? Uh, funnily enough, so I. Uh, I actually have a picture because I was on FaceTime with a mate of mine who's a Leicester fan. Um, and I have a picture of the exact moment that uh, that the penalty goal went in. Uh, but to actually celebrate, so funnily enough, the way I celebrated was I got my iPad out and I started illustrating nice. like what became the, the piece that I'm kind of known most for online. Mm. That's pretty cool. That's that same day, just out. Did you, get, did you get that idea straight away? Like, just thought, oh, I know what I'm going to do, Tre- Premier League trophy in the middle, sort of. Yeah, it was, it was 
a few different ideas, I suppose, but um, that the heart of the idea was was always was always there. At, like, because um, it, it's you don't often get the chance to really go into the thoughts and the inspiration behind like the what the piece means to you. Because obviously, to most people, they just see um, a post a poster composed of all the, the the squad from that season and the trophy in the middle. Mm. But the the piece, if it was ever like to be in a gallery, or anything the sub subline would be. Um, the team that tore up the history books. Ah, so nice. that's why it's all like torn pieces of paper. And that's why even the trophies torn in the middle in them. Somebody actually said to me not that long ago, they were like, I think it was an Everton fan commented on somebody else's tweet. And he said, why is the trophy still got the rips through it? And it's because um, if you look like one element of it is um, like, there's a map of the area around Anfield. There's the textures of some of the older kits. And the idea is that that the trophy in the middle is made up of, the pages of Liverpool's history kind of torn together. So everything has kind of led to that moment. And then, yeah, so the rest of it is, um, yeah, the team that tore up the history books. Nice. I mean, for people who don't know, it's, it's just behind you on your calendar there. Um, that is uh, part of it. Yeah, that's the trophy itself. I don't actually have um, one of the prints down here. It's it's upstairs in, in another room. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you, you speak to the other day. I think uh, is it bad that I have like, my own poster uh, up on the wall? <laughs> yeah, it I was is, like, yeah. no way. That's like that's the. Like that's that's what you got to do. <laughs> so I'm um I'm obviously on a junior designer budget in London, so that's all I've been doing. I can't I can't afford anyone else's prints. So I've been printing my well, own. <laughs> that was ex- that was why I did that piece to begin with. Like you know, at the at the time when I drew that, I I wasn't um I wasn't remotely prolific online. I didn't post a lot of my work. I'd done some stuff around the Champions League final the year before, um, that I'd done by just mouse and keyboard on on Photoshop, just literally painting every brushstroke with a little move of the cursor. Cause I didn't have any, um, any graphics equipment anymore at that point. Cause I hadn't been doing it for so long, but when we won the league, I was like, I need something on my wall that celebrates this. Cause I've got, I've got a couple yeah. of Liverpool prints, um, up throughout the house. I've got something from art of football in the living room. Nice. Um, and then I've got a couple of pieces by illustrators who I know and whose work I admire upstairs, but I knew that I, it was such a, such a pinnacle and such a big moment for myself personally i wanted something on my wall that reflected my own joy and love of that mo- that moment but also like i hate i hate to say anything like this but like when when i had it so clearly in my head i knew that that was the thing that i wanted to see when i thought about it mm. um, i wanted to see the thing that i'd created and kind of to remember all of those emotions of my own yeah. so um that would like I never int- I never really intended to do prints of it. I never I, I knew I'd post it because because um, I like sharing things when I've created them. But I never thought it would kind of become the thing it has for me. It was literally just something to go on my own wall. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's obviously that's a huge moment in, in, in any Liverpool fan's life. Um, I mean for for me it's yeah first first league. I'm trying to think if it's bigger than Champions League. I was it's the fifth time when when Liverpool won that game against Milan, AC Milan. Uh, I was only young, but um, I felt so big at the time. I was, yeah, yeah. But then I remember. Years. Yeah, I think it, it's a funny one because I I've literally grown up through the barren period of league wins. Like I was I was born in '88, so I was technically alive for the previous title win, but like wasn't conscious, so yeah. certainly didn't experience it. So my life has been Liverpool not winning the league. Mm. Um, and to experience it, it was crazy. Like especially because um, I had, you know, I haven't really ever been present at, at live at any of the big moments. Like I went to Kiev um, in 2018, and oh, um, wow. and 
that what like Sadio Mane's equaliser was the still probably one of the greatest moments I've ever had in a ground because it, despite what happened afterwards, it was a Champions League final, and at mm. that moment we were still very much in the game and we drawn level. Um, and then I went to the final game of the season when we didn't win the league. When and similarly, um, hearing that Glenn Murray had put Brighton ahead against City was another amazing moment. Um, but I think that despite like despite that and despite the other times I've like been to Anfield and you know celebrated goals or whatever, um, that moment in a hotel room at Stansted Airport was probably the greatest moment of my football fan life. It's funny uh, you say hotels. I just remember now that the um, one in Kiev. I think I watched that in a hotel room as well. I was on the on the way to film a bit of a powerlifting um, competition with my friend. All right, cool. Um, I used to help him out with Instagram videos and stuff, and um, film a lot of his um, deadlifts and obviously yeah, progress. Um, and yeah, I was in a hotel room and lost that as well. But hey. it's a, it's a it is a funny one. Like I think um, I'd obviously. I'd never experienced a big game in isolation, like you know, li- by literally in isolation, just on my own in a room before. I'd yeah. always gone to the pub, had mates around, or whatever. Um, to experience it like that was really strange. I remember I was on it, the shoot. I was on the um, like the creative director as a city fan, and okay. so we wound up obviously talking about it the day after. And he was like, um, "Are you disappointed that you won it like this?" And I was like, "There was obviously there's loads of disappointment." Um, any other year, at the very least, I would have gone down to Liverpool and I would have, you know, been part of the the fracas that kind of kicked off afterwards. Yeah, um, yeah. much much like in 2019. Yeah, but um, because because City handed us the league by losing to Chelsea, nobody would have been there anyway. Mm. And I think there's always a little bit of a thing like you know, not everybody can get to Anfield. It only holds fifty um, odd thousand people. And for us all to have a very similar experience, even if it was imperfect, I think there's something actually quite special about that. And I think, um, it, you know, searching for the positives in what has been objectively a fucking terrible um, going on 12 months now, I would say that that's one of them, that mm. the, the world over, every Liverpool fan has a very similar experience of us winning the league. And we can all talk about it in universal terms. I think that is is something that, in 10, 20 years' time, and hopefully we've won it a bunch more, is something we can actually talk about in a really communal way mm. and, a, and a very nice way that um, the, the, the hundreds of millions of Liverpool fans all over the world actually experienced our first league win in exactly the same fashion. And yeah. no no other club will be able to say that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, the, the 2019 parade was pretty... I, it's the most unique experience of my life. I've never, I've never been to a parade like that. Even the, the closest I can think of is the 2012 Olympics, like when when the what torch went past. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the 2019 it was like going up to Liverpool for that with the, the confetti cannons and, and the, the flares going off all the time. And my grace was yeah. coming home with like just red flare on it. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like I'm picking up, you know, walking behind the team bus at the end and, and trying to pick up as much confetti as I could. It's just. It's just an incredible experience. I can't wait to do yeah. it when they do the, uh, or hopefully if they do the twenty twenty, uh, you know, the trophy for the the league, or if they do the uh, if we win it again this year. But yeah, fingers, fingers <sighs> crossed we get to do something. Where I, I I can't remember exactly. I was literally just down the bottom um, by um, I was right by the docks actually for the parade. Uh-huh. 
uh, nobody, nobody, that, none of my friends or anything. And a mate of mine, <clears throat> a friend of mine who lives in Germany, had said he was going to come over for the parade. Totally yeah. bailed. Um, so I was, li- I literally stood, stood down there. Um, obviously, just down from Liverpool one for three hours on my own. Obviously, chatting mm. and getting getting in amongst it and um, socialising with the Liverpool fans. But it was quite it was it was quite funny for me because I got there at like what was it, eleven a.m. Mm. Was there till about four p.m. Freeze. Yeah. It was freezing cold. I, I seem to remember. Oh, that's short. So I don't. Maybe I can't remember. I, 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 I remember being freezing, but I don't know why. <laughs> but that was yeah. That was an amazing day. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Which which side of the road were you? Because because I, I was down by the docks as well, and by that sort of area. I, I was the, I wasn't the dock side. I was across the road. Okay, this is getting scary now. I might stay next to you. <laughs> I was I was right by. Um, so actually, there was like there was a test because I, I moved up after a little bit. Is it? It's a Hilton, isn't it? The hotel at the bottom. Okay. There's a Hilton hotel, and I I started off there. And then move further up to buy the Tesco Express, where the square kind of opened up. You know, near the building site that all the lads were climbing up. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 the crane. I yeah. was very, I was very close to that, and I was very close to the traffic lights that everybody was sat on. I was really scared that someone was going to jump and I <laughs> on top of that crane. I was really. Oh, mate, when when those lads were up there, I literally all I could keep thinking, and all me and anyone around me was saying was just, uh, if something happens, that's all this will be about. Yeah, and. That that really sh- that really put the shits up, mate. It's just you're going to tarnish what is one of the most amazing days any of us have ever had with yeah. a tragedy. Um, but thankfully, nothing did happen. Um, although I did enjoy the moment where I want to say like a security guard went in or a policeman went in and um, only went up about three floors, so kind of chased a few of them. But I don't think got any of them out. But didn't go all the way to the top, so all the lads up at the top were fine. And then there was that <laughs> there was that other bit, wasn't there? That was. Um, like more of a just a platform that just got full of people that was like yeah. only like one story up yeah, yeah, yeah i remember yeah I, yeah amazing some of the pictures from that that parade are incredible yeah i still look through mine actually just, i wish i'd taken a proper camera down but the, the photos on my phone i still look that's a, you, i do look back and i think oh, what would i've done differently i definitely would have bought some flares that's for sure and got on yeah, top of yeah, a lamppost yeah. so many kids on lamppost i reckon i'm probably just about light enough to get on a lamppost and like <laughs> get one <laughs> Uh, I'd also take my flag that I've just designed as well, so that'd be, that'd be wicked if they would do win it. Um, hang that yeah, from my cool. main post. It'd be incredible. But um, but yeah, I had to delete some some photos, I think, from what well, I did from um, the uh, Community Shield final when we lost the city. Yeah, um, yeah. Me drinking beer with Phil Galloway and like had a big beer snake going on. Um, right. Well, you know, the, all the cups stacked up. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Made a bit of a mess for those after, but I, I thought that's best to keep professional, isn't it? Once you get a job at Arsenal, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get a job yeah. at a different club. One, <laughs> um, one of the um, one of the, the funny things I often find is like I see a lot of people, you know, in a, in a similar similar game to you and I, and some of the stuff they post on on Twitter, um, I often just think you should really think about whether or not you want to get a job someday working with a club or a player. <laughs> This is it, yeah. You know, yeah. You, re- you really need to you need to shape some of your uh, more brash opinions sometimes, <laughs> and understand that your Twitter page, if that's where you post your work the most, is where a lot of people are going to going to wind up when they Google you. Yeah, yeah. This is a really important point as well for, for people listening. I mean, I know um, a few friends of mine have deleted their like a lot of old posts because of it, and um, and it can be easy to pick up your phone whilst you're watching the football and like just vent if you have, if you're not texting a friend or if you're not. Texting yeah. a family member, it's um, it's a lot easier just to put it on Twitter. But yeah, I've just I've tried not to do that at all. Like 
I think it just hinders. There's, there's, no, there's no good thing that can come of it. Exactly, I'm the same. I, you know, I think there's um, there's plenty of room for diplomatic discourse, both positive and negative, um, without it kind of spilling over into uh, vitriolic hyperbole. Because I think as soon, you know, I think what you what you want to think is like would you want somebody judging you in a job interview sat next to you in the pub listening to the things you say during the match? Yeah. Um, and I get that, that Twitter is, is open and social media platforms are open and they should, you know, to a, to a large extent, they should encourage all sorts of, of discourse. But again, like that's just the point is like the things that you would say in private company at screaming at the TV um, <laughs> are not the same things that you would then play back an audio recording on somebody who's about, who's about to give you a job. And I, I do think it is, but it is worth bearing in mind for people that post stuff on social media is like, you know, Twitter and Instagram is your portfolio now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just the work that you post. It's the things you say. Yeah. I, mean, I don't have any um, personal uh, social media sites anymore. I just, um, one thing I'm doing more and more recently is just pairing back and, and, really curating the the stuff that I put on there making sure it's the best stuff like I think it was yesterday I went through all my Twitter um, and just deleted all the posters and, and, and the, the work I didn't like anymore I think it's yeah. I, I know a lot of people that like, say oh, I'll keep the stuff up there because it's nice to see progress but I think it's fine you seeing the progress but I like having like, just people seeing the good work I find looking at the crap Definitely. stuff from years ago myself on my hard yeah. drive but um, yeah I like having a, a stock like the standard sort of try and set a standard no, for myself I- I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's one of those things where like people that say it's great to see the progress, they're not wrong, but they know you. Right. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. I think it's, I think it is nice for people that know you to see the journey you've gone through and you might share that with them. You might be happy to say, um, here's something I did five, six years ago that I that wouldn't see the light of day now. Mm. Um, and they can go, wow, that's amazing. You've really come on. But, it, but again, like you said, it's, um, you know, for people that might just be popping onto your profile to see, do I want them to do our next campaign or to be involved in our next pieces of work? You know, they just, you, they want to see the absolute, absolute cream of the crop. And that's all you want to show them as well. Um, you know, I, I do think, um, I guess just coming back to what I was saying about it a second ago, I think a lot of people think of, prof- well, actually what you were saying, um, professional and personal as separate. Uh, but it's really not anymore. Like, you know, that's one of the reasons. That, so I've got, I've only got one Twitter account, but I've got two Instagram accounts. Mm, I've got yeah, one same. Instagram account for my film work and one Instagram Instagram account for design work. And part of that is just because a lot of the people that follow me on, on Instagram for my film stuff, um, who are music video commissioners, creative directors at agencies, um, you know, marketing managers at, at brands, they couldn't care less about what, I'm doing. I'm, I want to say that I'm doing on Procreate or Photoshop, yeah. um, and may, maybe they'll find it interesting as part of a treatment or a pitch at some point. But on a day-to-day basis, that's not why they followed me. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of want to keep my brand a bit brand quite pure with them as well. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting how people go out it. That's for sure. And uh, I've also seen like when when a club starts to approach a person as well, an illustrator. I'll see if you'd post disappear as well after that. Sometimes, <laughs> like there's a lot of Arsenal, um, a lot of Arsenal uh, illustrators that have, have done that when they've been approached by, by Adidas and a few other companies, or like when it's become yeah. a bit more professional, they've, they've removed the one of like Gunnosaurus shooting himself or like, yeah. <laughs> like stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it can, it can be funny if you if you watch these people. So um, yeah, one one of the things I'm I'm 
doing at the moment and thinking about is, is getting rid of social media for, for a month or so, just um, just to see how it affects my illustration style, really. I think uh, it'd be nice to look back at sort of comics and especially Roy the Rovers. I think I, think I, can, I can pick up a lot from those magazines and comics and people that aren't on social media as well or, or people that didn't primarily, primarily work on social media. So um, uh, just like old designers, like did those classic football cards you see on eBay, like the 50s yeah, yeah. and stuff. Uh, it's just just incredible. Um, um, I chatted with uh, one of those sort of guys. My name's blanking. Uh, Paul Trevelyan. Uh, and he's, uh, I call him the godfather of sports illustration. He's done every gig you could possibly think of. Um, right. And, and, and it started off with uh, drawing a poster, for, a film poster for um, for Disney. Uh, not not for Disney, but like as a, as a as a child, and then put it up at the cinema. It was such a good film, and he got free tickets because of it. Um, Amazing. It's a great story, but it's like a four-hour podcast because he, he's got all this work to show us from his life, and no one's ever asked him about it. And it's it's amazing. Anyway, that's um, digressing, but. But yeah, so I'm trying to take inspiration from that. I mean, do, how much do you, how much do you look at social media and, and other people's work, especially when it comes to film as well? Are you, are you picking up like other people's stuff and tearing it apart? Like, can we take bits from that sort of thing? I guess um, I try and keep the two separate, separate as much as possible. So um, my my initial inspiration for kind of everything I've ever done illustrated based has always been uh, comic book stuff. So that was kind of my mm. first my first real love of anything art-based was um, I was a big comic book nerd as a kid. Right. Um, I still have loads of, loads of comics and loads of graphic novels in the house. Um, and I think that was probably the place I first started. I remember trying to teach myself um, comic book anatomy and comic book illustration when I was uh, 13, 14, 15, spending a lot of time doing that. Uh, but I think uh, somebody posted something the other day on, on Twitter, actually, and I, and I responded saying that I do think uh, something to definitely do is to look at um, other people's work that you admire and I think one of the things that I try and avoid too much is kind of looking at people that I would say are kind of peers on the set in the same space you know I try and um, look at artists who I think are far far further down the road of progression of their career and their style um, and and their the breadth of work as well uh, because I think what I certainly want to try and avoid is ever feeling too similar to people that are posting again at the same level that you are. Um, and I don't, I don't say that to try and cast dispersions on anybody else's level or, or progress, but I, um, what all I mean is that if you're all kind of part of the same graduating class, if you will, to use um, a somewhat strained analogy, uh, then you don't want to all, seen to be too similar and i think Mm. it's very easy to just look at the people that are closest to you the people that maybe you interact with the most or the people whose work you see the most because um obviously uh those of us that are kind of more more junior in in the sports illustration world tend to all um kind of know each other now and interact or see each other's work follow each other comment like Mm -hmm. um and i think it's very easy to go to those that are closest to you but i do think um there's several aspects to kind of what I do, not necessarily with any piece in mind. I certainly don't ever do it like that. Um, but I, I do obviously spend plenty of time kind of going through Pinterest or um, looking on um, like illustration agency websites and just going through their rosters and looking at the work that's on there, uh, especially for film poster stuff um, and looking at it. And I do several kind of layers of 
um, dissection from that point on. So a lot of the time I'll just look at it and I'll try and understand what it is that I like about it. Maybe it's the composition, maybe it's techniques, maybe it's textures. Mm. Um, like uh, uh, the artist Sam Gibley on um, Twitter, who does a lot of film-based stuff, um, he uh, uses amazing textures, especially when it comes to skin tones, and it really brings them to life um, and kind of gives them that natural um, like iridescence that skin has that often loses in any sort of illustrated work. His um, his stuff is, is, has a real painterly quality. Uh, but sometimes what I'll also do is just then look at the, the finished piece, um, aspects of it, and rather than try and understand what I think they did, just understand how I do it. So just literally like without even giving it too much thought, looking at um, maybe it's a specific figure in a piece or um, a specific area or it's lighting, lighting effects and just having a go at it and mm. not even with the aim of it ever being a finished thing, but just looking at my kit of tools, looking at what I've got in Procreate, my brushes, the techniques that I already use or, or Photoshop or Illustrator um, and then go, then going from there just to see if I can get to the same end result or a similar end result that I feel good about uh, because I think uh, sometimes people get really caught up, unnecessarily caught up I think, um, in technique whereas okay. your, your final um, consumer of the, of the product, whether it's a it's a digital campaign or it's a, a print that you're selling or, you know, it's hang, it's hung in a gallery. They are just looking at the end piece. They're just like, they're just getting that emotional resonance that you initially got from, from the piece. So I think um, obviously craft is, is very important, but I think the kind of individual um, minutiae of what brush did they use? Um, you know, what style of cross cross hatching are they using? Isn't necessarily, um, the thing to worry about, I think it's just uh, it's learning techniques that get you to the result that you're happy with. And I, I probably say that as somebody who is um, almost entirely self-taught in most elements of, of graphic design. I did a little bit of art at college. I did um, a year of graphic design um, alongside film at university. But uh, other than that, I have just kind of picked it up as I go. Like I still watch people on Twitter, especially post up about um about photoshop and i go man i did not realize how powerful this software was yeah yeah i do that um, all the time like, I, I i often watch um dean davis's stuff i think his mm. twitter is um creating with dean or, or creative with dean or something like that yeah create with dean uh, yeah i watch i watch his stuff and i'm like he is using photoshop in a different world to me and i've been using photoshop for the best part of 20 years and i just do not know half this stuff i'm still learning shortcuts <laughs> yeah no definitely i think it's it's, it's also tricky as well because the uh you can do one thing about three different ways as well in photoshop well in all yeah. the adobe stuff um so yeah and the shortcuts obviously aren't the same across the three platforms so it's a bit well more than three whatever you know across the three main ones but they're not the same so it's a bit tricky you have to learn all the different things but uh but yeah yeah when, when you're looking at uh, a film or or, or design actually like and, and you see you see a shot like oh that's really nice the, the way they've panned across the screen or they've, they've gone from low to high or, or I don't know like that brush that they've used or, or the way they've coloured that that player skin. Uh, do do you ever pick that up? Cause, or, and how do you what, what else do you look for when you when you're breaking breaking down other people's work? And how, how do you use that? I suppose um, part of it is just instinct. 
like right. without without trying to, I, I obviously I'd, I'd like to impart as much of um, my own personal experience as I, as I can but I think um, one thing that I think a lot of people don't spend enough time doing is trying to teach themselves how to appreciate what really works um, in a lot of different art forms and mediums uh, and like trying to understand why X piece is brilliant versus maybe another one that, that, um, that they've seen somewhere isn't working, even though they, they contain the same elements. Um, I think part of um, just kind of circling back a little bit, like when it comes to stuff like obviously sports illustration versus um, doing anything for film, I think one of the, the biggest things that uh, you're often doing very differently is film is all about trying to kind of tell uh, the story of the, the movie that you, that you're creating something for, or actually in, in making a film, it's trying to tell the story in general. Uh, whereas sports stuff is kind of all about hero worship. <laughs> and I think that's one of the biggest things. So I, I just, I just finished doing an illustration um, of John Barnes, who is like, is my favorite ever Liverpool player. And, I kept looking for image references of him because all of my stuff is um, it's kind of very much based in, in lifelike illustrations, even though it's um, kind of quite flat in terms of tone. It's not, you know, it's not um, oil paintings or anything like that, but um, I've never been able to kind of create characters or caricatures. It's not, it's just not my skill set at all. So it's, I often just work from photo references, um, but I kept trying to find something that I felt captured him because um it, it's funny, like, he's probably most remembered by a lot of Liverpool fans in, um, you know, the classic candy um, yeah, the shirt candy with shirts. that kind of, that, that patterned um, detail. But that shirt was actually quite loose, so it didn't capture, a lot of the images you see of him didn't capture kind of how how muscular he was, how powerful he looked. You know, mm. he looked very much like a like a superhero when you saw him in an England shirt or a Watford shirt or even the first couple of seasons of Liverpool shirts. Uh, so I kind of really struggled for a little while with that because I think that's one of the things that I always look for is trying to find um, a player or a figure kind of in their most heroic moment. Uh, and that's, I suppose that's something I certainly always look for when it comes to football stuff is, is, and looking at other people's work is like, do I feel as though they've captured that larger than life element? And I think loads mm-hmm. of people do it amazingly. Um, it's something that a lot of people um, are nailing, you know, right the way up the kind of ladder of progression when it comes to football illustration, um, nailing the fact that it is absolute hero worship and idolatry. And that's what you, you're trying to build up when it comes to players. Uh, but I think there are sometimes you, you can kind of see something in it. And if the player winds up feeling very fallible and very human, that I think it's probably not quite capturing the reason why somebody might want them on the wall. That, that's, I'm not sure how many people think that deeply about it, to be honest. I reckon a lot of people just say, oh, yeah, that was, uh, that's his, that's like him, that's his pose, and then just go for it. But like, maybe it's sort of the same thing, but more on a more basic level, because. Like it, for me, like Gerard, like smashing the ball whilst he's in the air, sort of like smashing it so hard he's coming off of the off of the ground, sort of thing. That's like that's my sort of Gerard. Like that'd be him for me. Like I want. It's yeah. interesting that you go that deep and that personal on each on each piece. I think that's uh, that's, that's really good. Like, it's really like it's a really interesting thing that you could, people could take away from this. Um, do, is there any is there anything you don't like about the, the sports creative like scene, like uh, the illustration world? Not free under the bus, but like. Always interested in this. <laughs> um, I think it's, 
I don't know, you know, you never want to come across as a knob, do you, when you, when you talk about <laughs> stuff like this? Because um, I think in, in all elements of creative work that I work in, there's loads of stuff I don't like. And I don't just mean that on like a specific piece of work level. Um, hmm. I think... I think it's really crowded. I think it's un- yeah. I think it's unnecessarily crowded, um, and I don't I don't blame anybody for trying to find something to do and and something to occupy them and give them that that outlet during um, during the time that we're all living through. But I think that there is a rush to just make stuff uh, and mm. not enough stuff that no that nobody ever sees, um, not enough of the the groundwork put in um, of just hours and hours of creating stuff that will never see the light of day, just researching, just learning, just getting better. I think a lot of people, um, and so I think this is this is social media's fault more than it's anybody as a on a human level's fault. Uh, people just want to post as much stuff as they can, and they want to post it now. Mm. And I think a lot of a lot of people, especially younger people who have uh, the benefit of time that. Um, that I, I don't as somebody now two years into their thirties. Uh, I think, I think allow yourself to build up a real understanding of what you want to do. And also, um, to improve as much as you can and to just throw away as much work as, as you feel like you can. Uh, I think like, you know, like, I, like I said earlier, um, in terms of my own, uh, online presence, I didn't really post anything of, of this sort until the middle of last year. A few bits here and there every now and then, but most of it that I ever created was really only done for myself. I'd post something on Reddit every now and then, um, or I'd post something on a, a mo- like a custom film art forum that nobody ever visited. Uh, but I didn't. I wasn't looking to try and garner an audience. Uh, and I think that a lot of people now see likes and sales as the ultimate goal whereas i think a Mm. lot of people who are doing it born out of a creative passion would never say that and i think that's kind of one of the things that um sends me up the wall a bit (laughs) is that i think it should it it should be from that the creative point first and foremost yeah for sure definitely yeah that's interesting I i just spent five minutes talking about things i hate about twitter and i feel like they're gonna burn my house down <laughs> uh no it, it's made me think i it's actually something that i've been thinking about quite a bit recently is sort of this sort of idea of working in the shadows and then coming out when you're a bit more uh a bit more formed um uh i think it's a bane reference actually <laughs> like born in the shadows <laughs> but i don't want to see that film yeah. but i've heard so many people reference it um yeah, that's a really, that's a really good point. I, I think I need to do that a bit as well. Like, there's many times I've been posting, I just just thrown up an illustration that I did quickly, and then realised that ah, actually, if, if I did a bit better, I could do a much better job than that. Or like, yeah, just not been not been happy with it, and yeah, sending me into a spiral of self doubt. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> I think it's. Um, I mean, I think all creative people have that. I think um, I don't know a single person who isn't um, yeah. very talented that doesn't have absolutely no belief in themselves. So um, I think anybody out there that has loads of self-doubt probably means that you're actually quite good. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so I, w- I wouldn't worry too much about that. But I think, um, you know, it's obviously, it's it's different different strokes for different people. I, I would not um, want to suggest that my own path to any sort of um, consistent level of work is this should be the exact same for somebody else. But I just always believe, and this went for 
um, film stuff and um, illustrated artwork uh, that it's as important um, the stuff, like I said, the stuff that you don't post, the stuff that you did just to learn. Um, mm. You know, the I think you know that matters maybe even more than actually eventually when you start feeling like you've gotten to a place where you're ready to share stuff. And, you know, in part, just so you don't have to do anything like you said earlier, where all of a sudden you're trolling back through six years of tweets and just deleting everything you posted because now you hate it. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to start doing that, As, especially with, I think one thing that I can do is motion design. And, and no, I won't be posting a lot of that because it's be playing around and be, I haven't learned any of it really at all. So I think that's one it's become a consistent thing on the podcast recently as well that I say I'm going to learn motion design. Um, <laughs> um, that's a lot of people's stories. Like, there's so many people that in, in our field of work, like in the illustration world, say, "Oh yeah, I've got to learn motion design." I just never do. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, oh, someone's out. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's good. So uh, talk about you. Talk about your job. Like, what, what's what's uh, for people who don't know your job? Like, what do you do at, at Chief? Um, and what uh, yeah, name so, for a um, company as well? um so i am currently uh technically a a freelance uh, tv commercial director um and i do some um some tv and film stuff as well i've made a a short film of my own a couple of years ago that's on youtube now and i think is approaching like three hundred thousand views on a horror platform uh, which i guess to a certain extent is kind of my first love Uh, my mum let me rent nightmare on elm street when i was seven never looked back um, tr- I, I couldn't sleep with the my bedroom door closed till I was about 14 um, oh, I'm the opposite but, I always have to have it closed no I needed the landing light on and the door open <laughs> or I was not sleeping I was I was freaked <laughs> out by that film um, but uh, yeah so, so I wound up studying uh, film production at university that was my main focus um, joined chief straight out of uni as an office runner which meant that I was answering the phones answering the doors making the tea I was in there at 7 I was leaving at 8 yeah. You know, I was the absolute whipping boy um, and over a couple of years kind of worked my way up uh, to eventually do quite a lot of graphic design stuff there. So I was doing quite a lot of prop design stuff. So, you know, there'd be a, a commercial that needed a newspaper designing to be featured in a, in a scene and I'd wind up designing that. Or I think, you know, there was a couple of music videos that people did where I designed band posters to go on the wall. Um, nice. So I kind of showed a certain aspect of my skill set as soon as I could to start becoming a little bit more and more indispensable. Then wound up editing. So I edited um, commercials for quite a few of the other directors doing some after effects work as well. Um, You know, whether it was motion graphics or it was doing like painting stuff out of of shots. And then eventually um, found myself in a position where I could get some directing opportunities. You know, the first ones were not particularly exciting. They were often um, like little corporate gigs uh, that, um, that nobody else was around to direct. Um, I seem, I seem to remember something specific that just involved like three solid days of sitting in a room with no windows, interviewing people for some company or whatever. Um, but you know, those opportunities led to bigger opportunities, and then eventually, uh, I wound up just full time directing TV commercials for all sort, all sorts of brands. You know, I've done projects that um, a lot of stuff that's involved sports. So I've done stuff for Liverpool, done stuff for Everton, United, City. Um, and stuff that's taken me all over the world as well. It's a, it's an amazing job, you know. I've, I've wound up shooting all over America, um, out in places like Indonesia. Uh, wound up in North Korea for a week once with Dennis Rodman. Holy so that shit! Was crazy. That's a hell of a story. 
<laughs> yeah, that was that was the weirdest week of my life, um, and you know it lived up to all expectations. To be honest with you, it was uh, yeah, it was incredible to be in a place like that, and to, like I said, to, to have that opportunity. I think that was only like twelve or eighteen months out of university. I was all of a sudden in North Korea. <laughs> With Dennis Rodman, it's just, it's just a weird bit as well. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it was so he'd already been over once, um, and then f- of all things, Paddy Power um, <laughs> was sponsoring him to go back and hold a basketball game. So he was taking over like <laughs> ten retired NBA players, um, all put together by Paddy Power, and they were going to have a game against North Korea. Nice. And we went, we went along and made a documentary. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, crazy film called Big Bang in Pyongyang that I think is still on Amazon Prime or <laughs> Netflix. Title. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the title is one of the best parts about it, for sure. <laughs> wait, wait, we can't, we can't really skip that. So, North Korea, how, how do you get in there? And can you can you just go? Uh, no, you definitely can't just go. go. Um, I think it's opened up since I went, because I went in like 2014. Okay. Um, but the way that we did it was... Through so the actual travel part was we went to Beijing, um, and then from Beijing there are flights. Mm. Um, there are I think there's a f- there's three route a few routes into it into the country. Um, I think there's one that's like an 18 hour train. Um, oh, I think that might even be from Russia, uh, but you, you yeah you can't just fly straight there. Like the um, we had to fly into Beijing and then stay in Beijing for a few days and then. Mm. Um, I think there's like there was one flight a week at the time or something, but there are people um, in that part of the world, um, and the guy that we went, worked with was called Simon, and he was he was uh, a British guy living in in China. Uh, he has contacts at the like the ministries in in North Korea, so you get a, a visa, some sort of travel visa, mm-hmm. to allow you into the country. Uh, and yeah, that was that was how we did it. I think we were actually technically there as like guests of the government. Oh, wow! Um, because we were there for like this official match yeah. that was going to take place. Did did North Korea have to win that game? They did not win. Okay. <laughs> you have to make it look like they won though in edit in the edit. <laughs> Just like... Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a version that only got aired in North Korea uh, <laughs> that uh, where they win. There's actually, uh, I don't even know if I should tell this story because they'll never let me back in. So uh, I was kind of doing some editing on the go while we were shooting. Uh, and we would like we did a thing where we were all put in a bus from the hotel. So there's loads of weird things. I could, I could spend ages just talking about all the strangeness that went on in, in the country while we were there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we'd get in this bus in, in the hotel. And what we were doing was we were putting a GoPro on the front of the bus so it just filmed the journey. So, you know, we could just get some decent decent shots driving around North Korea. And one thing that um, that happened, and there'd been talk of this happening all the way through, but it just hadn't come up yet, mm. was they were going to look through the footage. So at the end of every day, so, you know, we'd shoot a couple of hours a day. At the end of every day, we were supposed to, me, um, the director, producer, and somebody from the sports ministry or the military or something was supposed to sit down and go through the footage and they'd tell us what we couldn't use. Now, uh, for anybody that, that doesn't know, 
standard practice when you're filming something is you have two backups. So you make your master backup and then you make a, a, an, an actual backup in case anything goes wrong with the footage. Uh, so I was doing that every day. I'd go back to my room, put the camera cards in, download it to two hard drives, um, and away we go. And we were going through, we weren't ever going through the footage. They were never getting hold of me. And I kept saying to the producer, I'm really worried they're going to keep me behind when you guys leave and spend a week going through this footage. Uh, and he's like, no, no, you'll be fine. Don't worry. Uh, and then on the last night I woke up, I say woke up. I was woken up at about 2 AM uh, by somebody tapping on my toe at the end of my bed. And I turned, I, I rolled over in bed. I'm there in my Batman pajamas, no word of a lie. <laughs> and from my bed all the way out the, hotel room door was just a line of guys in military uniform and i was like what the fuck is going on uh, and they wanted to go through the footage so we're supposed to go to the airport in six hours we've been there for a week we've been shooting hours a day and i'm like there's not there's no time so it's 3 a.m and they took me to a room again just me and i'm then sat with this one guy and we've got a, the laptop in front of us and i've got a hard drive plugged in but behind us is this line of military guys that would just woke me up. So it's not a hospitable environment. Um, and we're going through the footage. That's all fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. And they go, stop. And then it tells me I have to delete this one clip from the GoPro because um, the apartment building we've driven past is where like the second in command of the sports ministry lives. And they don't want you to, they don't want to show that even though it's just a nondescript apartment building, they don't want to show it. So I go, fine, close, quick time, delete. Um, and now, obviously, what, for some reason, they don't know, uh, and I don't know why I did this. I have absolutely no idea why I did this. I was like, well, I've not, I'm not going to empty the trash unless they ask me. Oh, because, obviously, see. like you can just recover the files from your trash. Even on an external hard drive, the file's always there. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just not, not going to do it. And again, no idea why. Probably put my life at risk. Uh, I don't even know if the, the shot made it into the film, but I'm just not going to do it. And then uh, that's it. That's that's all they wanted to delete. Um, and I go, you know, it's now 5, 6 a.m. We're off to the airport at 10 a.m. Uh, I pack the hard drives back up. And the next morning in the hotel lobby, I go over to the producer and I tell him what's just what's happened. And he's like, oh, mate, that's crazy. Are you OK? And I'm like, yeah. And then I, I just get a bit closer and I just go but I didn't delete the file. He's like, he's like, what do you mean? I was like, I just put it in the trash. I didn't empty the trash. And he's like, amazing. Do they know? I was like, no. And then he goes, are you worried? I'm like, yes. And then I hand him the bag and I say, you have to carry the hard drives. And so he does. And, um, and he gets on the plane and now he's shitting it. I'm shitting it. And we're just worried that for some reason, at some point, they're going to figure it out. Um, and they, they, Obviously, they didn't, and we made it back, and it's fine. But it was the scariest, weirdest, almost spy-like thing I've ever yeah. done. And it was it was for a film about Dennis Rodman being leathered in North Korea, funded by Paddy Power. <laughs> that, that's, that's so bizarre, isn't it? Just the, <laughs> that's crazy. So when when, they, when they wake you up, right? Like, how, well, obviously they had key cards to your room, but like, I mean, you must have shit yourself, right? It's just like as a guy in military uniform waking up at the bottom of your bed. Yeah, I, I, I presumed what was happening, like, you know, in the, the haze of it being 3 a.m., um, I presumed what was happening is they'd woken everybody up. So there was mm. a crew of about six of us. I presumed they'd woken all of us up 
and whatever bad was about to happen was about to happen to all of us. Yeah. And I, I you know, I will say um, a, a couple of things. Like the people over there are wonderful, really, really nice. You know, as people that you meet almost anywhere in the world are, the the the, the people on the ground are just lovely. Well, there's a normal assistance. Really, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you I do mean, get to the, meet some, right? You get to meet some. Like you went, you went in shops and that because there's obviously rumours that you're not allowed to go in shops. Oh and no, that and no. We got introduced to people and the people that worked at the hotel and things like oh. that were all really nice. Oh, um, the- we did not get to stop and film with Joe Public. Oh, that okay. was not allowed. That was not allowed. Holy shit! So it's uh, like that. Yeah. So for example, there was a, a bit where we were driving through Pyongyang. And it was the middle of winter. It was like December, two weeks before Christmas. So over there, it's like minus 10 degrees. It's, you know, it's oh. properly, it's Arctic temperatures. But out in the street, there's just some kids like doing exactly what kids here would do. They're building snowmen, they're sledging. I think they'd, they actually just had like a sheet of plastic and they were using it as a sledge. And, and we wanted to film it because um, quite rightly, our point of view was people in the Western world that see this will just look at it and go, they're just normal kids, just like us. That's exactly how you bridge these kind of um, cultural gaps. Mm. And the, our handler's point of view was, no, no, we'll take you to a really nice place where they have fancy sleds and it all looks amazing. And we were like, yeah. well, we don't want to do that, so whatever. Uh, but but no, so the pe- but the people we did get to interact with um, outside of kind of the military complex were, were really nice. Um, but the there was always an edge about the whole situation as I'm Mm. sure you can understand. Um, so, you know, there were times when it got a little bit tetchy between us and the guys that were, were transporting us around because of the way that they wanted to try and present everything, um, to the world. Crazy. That's, that's crazy. I mean, are you glad you, you guys experienced North Korea? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it was a once in a lifetime thing. Uh, and I think based on everything I now know, the country's been continuing to change. Um, the, the regime is, is still doing some obviously despicable things, but it has opened up somewhat in the past few years. It is easier for tourists to go. It used to be really difficult, mm-hmm. uh, but I think now it's, it's no more difficult than the parts of the country that you need to, you know, you need to go and get 20 vaccines at your, your local travel shop before you go you know it, it's no more difficult than that um, in a normal climate now so i'm kind of glad i got to experience what might be the last of it being very insular mm. um, it was a really interesting window into the world wow yeah that's crazy have you, uh, have you been anywhere else in the world for, for film and that and is anything compared to to north korea uh, no nothing nothing's compared to that i've i've I have I've been all over the place doing you know, I, I did a project uh, maybe three or four years ago where I went to a very remote part of Indonesia. Mm. So we went out and you know a lot of people you know you know Bali you know Jakarta. Yeah. Uh, but we were out we were out filming in a place called Bukatinggi in West Sumatra, uh, where like we actually went to a football game there. Nice. So uh, we we discovered that there was a, a proper like eleven aside league match going on. Uh, just down the road from our hotel and we went there and it was so abnormal for them to see westerners and to see white people to be honest with you that um the team who was like the the subs bench was just a row of chairs on the sideline and they got up and let us sit there and everybody (laughs) cheered because they couldn't believe that they were they were seeing some westerners there i think um in the entire trip we were there for for two weeks and in the entire trip we came across 
three other people that um, kind of natively spoke English. Wow. So it, yeah. it that, that was um, it was an amazing again an amazing experience uh, to kind of to get to do that. Uh, and then I had another trip like six months before that, where two weeks before Christmas, in ten days, I left from Manchester and went to Barcelona, Istanbul, um, Cairo, <laughs> Auckland, San Francisco. And one other place that I now, for some reason, can't remember, probably because of the jet lag at the time. But that was so that was across ten days, just like hopping around the world to do this this film project for um, a DNA D award show, um, mm. which again was just an incredible experience. Like going to see some of the the most beautiful parts of the world. Uh, I went to so I went to uh, to New Zealand and then got a ferry out to a place called Wahiki Island, which it, it's the most beautiful place I'll probably ever see. It was insane. I have to Google this Wahiki Island. Uh, yeah, uh, please do uh, Google it so I can make sure I've um, I've said it properly. W a i h e k e Wahiki sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, that was like amazing. Yeah, beautiful blue sea. Yeah, well, especially because I like, like I said I'd flown there. I think I got there like December twenty first. So knowing what the weather was like back in Manchester, but being yeah. stood in the middle of somewhere on the most beautiful beach I've ever seen was quite yeah. incredible. This is down the rain back home. Oh, <laughs> Makes yeah. it a little bit more, more beautiful, doesn't it? Yeah. Wow, yeah, green everywhere. Yeah, that's amazing. It's a dream place to live. I figured out that New Zealand is, is a place I want to live. Um, yeah. I've uh, recently... Um, I've got a girlfriend that's American, and uh, she she's put me off going to America. Um, so I, I and now she, she's uh, lived in. Well, she she did a, like a internship thing in in um, in uh, New Zealand, and yeah, she's convinced me that I want to live there now. It's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, I mean, they speak it, English, it does, and, and the it does seem incredible to be honest with you. The only thing yeah. I, I, I'm fairly certain is the majority of the cities are super expensive. But I guess most people, most places that most people would like would aspire to live to are actually really expensive. Like, yeah. I'd love to go and live in New York. That's not cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder how it compares to London. Like, if because you got to find a job out there as well. I mean, yeah, that's the issue. There are a lot of really good um, advertising agencies out in New Zealand. It's an incredibly thriving kind of creative community on that side of stuff. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So th- there's, I'm sure there's, you know, there are plenty of gigs out there for sure. Uh, how? So, so you said your girlfriend's American. Yeah. Uh, why she put you off living there? Uh, just, just the mainly the the politics and the healthcare. Um, yeah. Oh right yeah. Now the isn't great. Is a good point actually. The healthcare's terrible. By the sounds of it, like having to pay thousands of pounds for. So today actually she's getting um she's getting her teeth sorted um by a dentist and it's like eight hundred quid, whereas it'd be free on the NHS. I'm like. I thought yeah. 800 quid for that. Well, 800 dollars. Um, someone's kicking off in London. I should probably check Twitter. Know, what's yeah. going on? Um, <laughs> uh, last time I went to America, actually, I haven't been in a, in a few years now. I don't think. Um, but I did a some filming there for a documentary with Ubisoft, um, nice. where I was in Ohio, like in small town Ohio, mm. maybe four weeks out from the Clint the Clinton Trump election. Oh yeah. And that was crazy. Like, um, again, like the nicest people I've ever met. I actually, I did like a photography project where the, the population of the town was so small that I think I took 300 portraits in a day. I think I figured out that I'd 
taken the photographs of like 20% of the entire town. Uh, but, Columbus, but no, Ohio like, is lovely though. It's a lovely place. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was so sweet. Everybody mm. was amazing. I actually, I went to this diner called the steel trolley diner, um, which had the best coffee I've ever had. I just, I have to say that. Um, and I, w- I wound up chatting to this guy called Norm and we were just chatting for a while. He was asking me about the UK. I was asking him about where he was from. He wasn't actually from Lisbon, Ohio, but he was, he worked there quite a bit. And when I went to leave, it turned out he'd just paid for my food and coffee. Hadn't mm. mentioned it. He just paid without telling me. And I, I like that act of generosity really set my day off in an amazing way. Yeah. But um, yeah, the sweetest, kindest people I've ever met and just a town full of Trump supporters. Uh, and <laughs> as I was walking around, there was just Trump yard signs everywhere. And one, like, one guy actually said to me, he's like, you know, thanks for Brexit, man. Because of you guys, we're taking our country back too. Oh, and I was God. just like, oh, that's just so sad. Um, like funnily enough actually one of the guys we filmed with uh was part of the militia group that stormed the capital so so a a photograph i took of him is featured in a daily mail article about him being (laughs) at the capital and somebody sent it me and i was like they just sent it me because they knew i knew him and i scrolled halfway down the page and i was like the fuckers that's my that's my photograph because i think it was like maybe his profile picture on facebook Um, i was just like i took that for a documentary like that's a real photograph and they they've just used it in a daily mail article daily mail bastards i know yeah Uh, bastards that's that's crazy though there's um so many things so many you've done so much with with so many cool people through film it's it's amazing i mean the, the amount of footballers you worked with as well and Obviously, fruit paddy power obviously helped, and then you, the Coca Cola um, advert was amazing as well. The uh, one with all the fans, I loved that. Um, is it Lingard or, or Rash? Who was it? Who was in the Man United? At fans? the end of that, um, that's Lingard. Yeah, Lingard. Yeah, yeah. Comes, comes. Yeah. On. So I didn't. That isn't one of my commercials, but I work. I did help with some of it, but that was just a project that that Chief did rather than than me specifically. Yeah. 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 Um, cool. But, but um, yeah, I, I personally have worked with a lot of footballers and um, it's something that we've done a lot of work with, like a good friend of mine, Ben Tong. Um, he's a comedy director, does um, loads of the recent Paddy Power stuff. So he did like, he did the Pundit series. He's done mm. a couple of the Crouchy ads. Um, and I've had the opportunity as well to work with, um, yeah, with loads of footballers now. I think the, the most important thing for anybody trying to do that kind of stuff is um, the f- like getting the first opportunity. You know, my first opportunity to work um, with a f- with a sports brand was the job I did for Adidas. Um, but from there, like it, it makes it much easier because people can see that you can kind of handle that kind of work because the big thing with footballers is you don't get much time. Right. You know, you get, you, you know, on a, on a shoot day, normally <clears throat> you're lucky if you get an hour with a footballer and a shoot day is, is between like 10 and 12 hours most times. Like, so I did a job with, <clears throat> with Adidas for Man United where we had, um, Mata, Lingard and Daily Blind. And I had 36 shots in, to get in 45 minutes. And it was, it was incredibly challenging. And I, and you know, the clubs are, clubs are really helpful because they walk, you know, they obviously like guide the players around to you, but you are very strict on time and it's understandable because they've got so many commitments to do. Um, but you do really feel that pressure and, and building that level of trust with, with clients and brands is the most important thing, you know, showing them that you can get what you need in the amount of time that you're going to have and get it well. Yeah. Has wow. is is any of them like annoyed you? I know it's a typical question that people ask, but is there, has any any football annoyed you? Yeah. Um, no, not really. Not on set. Um, 
you know, I think the most difficult thing with footballers is uh, the world that's built around them is so insulated. Uh, mm. And I think, uh, I think to a certain extent, it has to be. You know, there are elite athletes who are trying to perform at levels that most of us could never even dream of in their in their specific profession, yeah, and that course. takes takes extreme levels of focus. And I think a lot of people, um, people that they have around them management and agents and everybody uh their ultimate goal really is to just protect them from the noise and so they kind of take a lot of that stuff off their plate so that the player can just focus on um their own well-being and their own performance so sometimes the only difficult thing is just um understanding the politics of that world and and ingratiating yourself with it i think the worst thing that um that you can ever really do is try and butt up against it and try and fight it you know you just have to understand that at the end of the day you're not going to win against that behemoth you know you are um, you're standing in the way of, of a bulldozer and you just have to to accept it and work with it i think um most of the footballers i've worked with once you actually get to work, get to them you know once you kind of threw that barrier and you're on set with them they're just actually dead normal mm. uh, they're just really down to earth and really nice um you know i work did a job with with trent just before christmas and he's just he's a really lovely lad uh, you know, he was really nice to work with. He wants it to go well, just as you do. He wants everybody to have a nice time, just as you do. And he wants it to be a good thing. Uh, so, on a, on a personal level, they're almost always just um, incredibly, incredibly down to earth and incredibly kind. Um, you know, no, no more so. I think probably my favourite footballer I've ever worked with was Peter Crouch. So, um, I did a commercial for he seems his awesome, podcast. Doesn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah uh, so he, he's like he's actually. He is exactly who you think he is, uh, and that's not always um, always the same for for a lot of people. Because again, like you imagine them as these kind of superheroes, but because because of the image we all have of Crouchy, he is exactly that guy. Um, he's brilliant. He's funny. He's very self-effacing. You know, he knows exactly kind of what his public persona is, and he has no problem leaning into it. it he was he was great to work with. Um, and yeah, I had a lot of fun with that commercial actually, especially because uh, at the time I'd only just started listening to his podcast. So to make a commercial for it was really fun. Nice, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd love to chat with him. I mean, yeah, I mean, talking about um, footballers behind, like behind the scenes, reading the curtain a bit. They, there's a podcast that Jake Humphrey runs um, called High Performance Podcast, and that's right. I don't know if you've listened to it, but it's a it's a it's a really good like sort of look at their their mental strength and like their, their thinking um, when they, when they go through them through sport and they get loads of different athletes on there they've had um, the guy from Stenrich Serophonics on there and um, it's mainly athletes and some sports stars but yeah it's just incredible some of the, some of the mindsets these people have like the Crouchy just seems like the opposite of that he just seems like a yeah 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 <laughs> really relaxed like a guy who just takes it in his strides but also this strange looking athlete <laughs> but, I, think, I, I think to a certain extent like um, when it comes to footballers as well Crouch Peter Crouch almost seems like the last of a generation. Hmm. Like I think the majority of footballers now, um, you know, through all all levels of the the Premier League, anyway, they are so finely tuned. You know, they're more like yeah. um, the Olympic athletes of the nineties than they are the footballers of the nineties. Uh, where whereas I think Crouchy was maybe like the last person who kind of connected to that generation where so much of what I think he did on the pitch was derived from his, his physical abilities and his talent. Um, and you know, not, not so much the endless hours in the gym. Whereas mm. I think now, um, these players bodies are, are 
ridiculous um, and require so much work and so much, so much tuning. Yeah, yeah. I always, always is, is try and get my head in that space where their their muscles are so much different to us. I know, I know. You know, when people say they dive and all that, which they do, but like the injuries, they're going to be so much more impactful on their bodies, their muscles, because they're so much like more um, sustained to injury because. Yeah. They're just completely different muscles to to mine. Where I just sit on the sofa most of the time, or sitting down at my desk, Absolutely. They're, they're constant working. They're like bows of a string of a, of a guitar, or, or like um, yeah, strings of a guitar, or like a violin. They just they could snap yeah. at any moment because they're so I think ready it, for. It's crazy. I think similarly to that, it's like I actually keep thinking this when it comes to Liverpool's performance this year. I think it goes yeah. for athletes. It does. I think. I imagine it applies to athletes. I say this with absolutely no um, scientific background or real knowledge. This is um, simply speculation on my part. Like it's so, it's striving so much for perfection that as soon as one thing goes wrong, it looks disastrous. So I think, like you know, with like I always think with the way that Liverpool play, for example, um, if you watch the way that we distribute the ball, it's almost like the players are coached to hold on to the ball. For, for exactly the right amount of time for the player to be just as out of position as he can be without getting the ball off you. So it's like mm. pass the ball at the last second or move with the ball at the last second. Um, you know, draw players all over the pitch. But if you get that half a second wrong, then you give the ball away. Um, and I think it's the same with athletes, isn't it? It's like um, they're so finely tuned, like your violin string analogy, that they almost it's almost bearing on the edge of being brittle. Yeah. Um, I, I think the diving argument is I, I've tried I mean obviously within the conversation around football it's actually really difficult to have rational conversations with most people <laughs> but like, I always say to people like you know when you're like walking through your living room and you catch your toe on the coffee table and you almost <laughs> fall over it's like, and you're moving at three miles an hour and the thing that you hit wasn't moving so now imagine that you're sprinting at 15 miles an hour dribbling a ball you're constantly off balance and somebody else who's running at 15 miles an hour who is a brick of muscle hits you with his shoulder like i'm not saying that players don't exaggerate but i think people underestimate just how little contact it takes to knock you over yeah i totally agree i'm I'm on board your side of this one uh also the the thing is it's become part of the game as well now it's like it's, it's if you can game the game sort of thing if you can win a free kick here and there like if you if you didn't win free kicks for it, people will stop doing it, right? They would yep. they would just get up. <laughs> so yeah. so if, if if referees, I mean, there's obviously tons of problems with referees in the, in all leagues, but and and VAR and all sorts. But um, yeah, do you going like to sum up like this podcast? Start with Liverpool, and end with Liverpool. Do you do you think Liverpool will win the league this year? Um, I think we can. I don't I don't think it's over like a lot of people on Twitter seem to. Yeah, I think had had we won three of the games that we've drawn or lost in the last month, I think it'd be ours to lose. Um, mm. I think, but I think where we've let it get to, you know, you look, I think City are seven points ahead of us, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I think it's still anybody's league to win. So I don't, I don't at all think it's over. I think um, this team still has more than enough to win it. Cause I think this, this year, the league's going to be won up with about 80 points. Yeah. Um, and yeah. at that lower total, you're probably talking about going into May with it still wide open. Mm. And when that's the case, you never know what's going to happen. 
I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I just worry about City. It's just, um, yeah, let's go. I, right, I, I think right now City are going through um, what we did last season. And obviously it took, I mean, nobody could stop us last season. Because it's very much like um, like Ivan Drago in Rocky Four, where <laughs> other teams have shown weakness and City have just seen an opportunity and taken it immediately. Um, you know, I think I think if we beat, um, let's say, West Brom and Newcastle, and obviously uh, we weren't close to doing either of those things, but I think if we beat West Brom and Newcastle, I don't think you're just talking about us having four more points. I think you're talking about potentially City having dropped points in that period as well, because then, you know, they're not seeing that that drip of blood on a, on on their prey and they're not yeah. able to just go and take that opportunity. Whereas now I do worry that our form has built them up into like the apex predator again. And I think that yeah. is my biggest concern um, without uh, trying to say anything too risky. I'm, I'm still not worried about United because yeah, they, they've done it. Th- they've done this every six months since they got Ollie as their manager. They go on these incredible runs of form and then something happens and they have a terrible period where they're catastrophic again. And I mm-hmm. think they'll have another one of them before the end of the season, no doubt. Uh, I'd be shocked if they didn't, to be honest with you. I think um, I'm still confident we'll finish above them. I say Leicester win the league again. Come on, come on, Leicester. I only hope. But to be honest with you, I'll take, any, <laughs> I'll take anybody but United at this point. Yeah, I think so. I, think um, I, just, uh, I said that to a friend today. One of my best mates is a Leicester fan, and he said, I hope City don't win it. And I know that um, he's told me in the past that his second team as a kid were United, so that wasn't that surprising. But I just said, if City win it, it's just status quo. It doesn't psychologically affect me anymore. Uh, but if our, if United were to win it, or you know, if, if Spurs were to win it, I think I'd just be like, oh, fuck off. We just won it. Like, hmm. And now other people are doing that again. Like, it's like, kind of like when Leicester won it. That did hurt a bit because I was like, I can't believe really? Leicester have won it and we've still not won it. It's had to know so I was just pleased that it wasn't the usual team. But um, yeah, but I think City, yeah, City winning it, it would be better, wouldn't it? We'd be better than United. Anyway, we'll see. Come back. Yeah, in four months' I, time. <laughs> I just, I just hope that like, without getting too much into uh, like the realms of Twitter, Liverpool. Mm. fan conversations um my only concern at the moment is like i I, i'm not blaming the club to a certain extent for not signing a center back because you know as as a a self-employed person i know enough of what my own financial life is going through to understand that um the implications on anybody or any business uh only are only really able to be understood by the business um you know liverpool aren't Apple, they're not Nike. <clears throat> they don't have unlimited cash reserves. So I don't think, you know, if they think there's not money there, there's not money there, that's fine. But what I do worry about is I just feel like we've been having these repeated conversations where it's constantly next summer's the big summer. And I feel like it's been yeah, that for three bit. years. So, like, you know, you see all the press now, um, whether it's The Athletic or something on Bleacher Report or The Echo, and you know, you're, you're always just seeing like they're preparing to really heavily invest in the summer. 
Uh, and yeah. I feel like in the summer, it'll be, well, they're just really focused on 2022. <laughs> and I hope that's not the case. I hope that I hope I'm just proved wrong. Haaland and Mbappe, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if I if I see anybody post anything about Kylian Mbappe coming to Liverpool again, unless it's actually him at Kirby <laughs> signing, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's happened, is it? <laughs> no, no. That's like, that is the equivalent to me saying, from my position right now, I intend to buy a Bugatti Veyron by the summer of 2022. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's not... It's not completely impossible that something could happen to make that itself happen, but it is very unlikely given the current situation. Yeah, yeah. Well, fingers crossed they win the lottery, so or Liverpool win the lottery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It'd have to be one of those like Euro Millions or um, like an American <laughs> State Lottery or something. Yeah, maybe, maybe the owners have got like some sort of American State Lottery. I don't know. Yeah, maybe um, maybe that's it. Maybe they're just buying tickets to the lottery every, every single weekend. <laughs> so they made their millions or billions. Yeah. Um, so let's get into the last couple of questions. Uh, I like to ask people. Um, so the first one is is what you uh, sorry. Uh, first one is uh, the best purchase under hundred pounds. So what's your best purchase under hundred pounds? Ever. Yeah, whatever you want it to be. Doesn't have to be design or film. Could be anything. Or but it could be design or film. Under a hundred pounds. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Really, I've got a really obvious answer. Um, yeah, but it does feel kind of, it does feel really obvious. So uh, I think my Apple pencil was ninety nine quid. <sighs> classic, classic answer. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I got that at the same time as my iPad, and I use it more than I use anything in my life. So that that's feels like pretty good. Feel, feels like a pretty good answer. So very it's nice. funny actually because with my with my iPad, um, I bought it last summer, um, no last spring, uh, and it was purely with the intention of using it to carry storyboards around on set. Oh, nice. So I, I didn't you know I didn't want to keep having to print off reams and reams of pages every single time. I knew an iPad iPad would be really useful as well. Like you know it's easier than carrying around a MacBook Pro when you get in the train down to London. Um, mm. So I thought I could use it for emails and documents, and I could have it on set with me in a in a bag, um, and I could just use it to cross off storyboards, to check shot lists, and that kind of stuff. Um, but then, as I said earlier, like when I downloaded Procreate, so I was like, oh, you know what, sitting on the sofa just doing a little bit of sketching, that'll be a lot of fun. Um, never intended anything more to come of it than that. Uh, but then the night we won the league, I just like immediately was like, all right, I'm going to start drawing <laughs> Klopp, and I'm, uh, and then the day after, I was like okay, I'm going to do this thing. Um, so I, it, that might not have been my answer 12 months ago, but it's definitely my answer today. I just completely took the Sports Illustration World by storm. <laughs> I don't, um, don't, not, not quite yet, but hopefully. <laughs> yeah. How, how are you finding selling stuff and making your own products? Really good. Um, quite stressful. Hmm. Only in the ways that like, I think like everybody, I'm sure I have really high standards. So um, when it comes to printing stuff specifically, I have just purchased um, a real, like or I'm about to purchase um, a brilliant printer, um, like a, you know, a high end Canon printer. So I can control a lot of my, my own kind of um, product line because there have been times where I, I tend to order uh, prints through, a couple of streams. So I've got a couple of online places that I, that I do um, think mm. do good, 
good quality work and then I've got a local printer who I try and use as much as I can but there's been a couple of times where I've received a batch of prints and whether it's my own choice of like paper stock and then I get it and I go this one wasn't right for this like they just go in the bin um, so that that the exacting standards of it I find quite stressful um, and the mm. other side of it is so when I first started selling prints online it was just that one piece uh, so you know all I needed to know was was it A2, A1 or A3 what yeah. size tube do I need to send it out? Whereas now I've got a couple dozen different pieces I sell online. So packing orders um, a couple of times a week is a much more complicated process. I need to have like a spreadsheet, a tick list, <laughs> um, pulling all sorts of different prints out. So that's like, it, it, it's it's amazing and it's so fulfilling every single time somebody you know decides that they want something that I've created in their house. I don't think I've ever actually experienced anything quite like it. Uh, because it's it's it feels quite personal and it feels like yeah. you know it feels like a real real sense of approval from the outside world people that just don't know me are seeing my work and going yeah i'd like that in my house and i know how much um how much time and thought i give to my own purchases of artwork to go in my house um so for somebody else to do that is amazing um so it, overall i just yeah i love it i think it's one of the best decisions i've ever made um I just wish that I wasn't also my own logistics manager. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people have that issue with when they start selling loads of prints. Um, yeah. yeah, I think like, wives and, and like family members will be coming into that equation. <laughs> I've heard that a lot yeah. of people getting their uh, family members involved in packing things. I know Dave Will does it quite a lot. Really? So funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, um, fortunately, like, um, the person I live with, all I get her to do is drive me to the post office because I don't drive. Um, I, d- I don't rope her in to anything more than that. Although a couple of times when I've done markets, I hire her as um, as staff. Nice. <laughs> um, right, the, la- the last few questions are a little bit deeper. The last two, um, I like to get a bit of an understanding uh, for for the person behind the camera, I guess. Um, so, first one: Do you have any life advice for people listening? Um, I think like I've. I've said this to quite a few people, especially creative people um, who are like either close friends or colleagues or people who've just like reached out to me on Instagram or Twitter asking for um, for advice. I think uh, social media has always had this really, I think, detrimental effect to a lot of people where it feels like mm. you need to fast track your entire career. You know, um, if you're 20, 25 or 30, you feel like you already need to have made it. And I don't think that's ever been true, but I think especially right now, you know, we're all essentially having two years of our timeline just ripped up. Um, So I think the most important thing I would just say to people is like, just do what you need to, to feel happy and fulfilled. Like try not to compare what you do or what you make or where you are to other people just because you're seeing what they're doing. You know, you really can only judge your own career life and progression on its own so try and just retain that sense of perspective and if if what you're doing is sorry my dogs are just playing um (laughs) if what you're doing is making you happy and is making you feel creatively fulfilled then that in and of itself is success and try Mm. and take that as a victory i know i don't do that often enough but i always tell people that they should nice that's a good one one that uh i think about um, the last question is, how do you want to be remembered? Oh, wow. Oh, that's awful. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, to maybe. I don't know if it's. I don't know how serious the answer is supposed to be, but I, I will just take it uh, as my own quick interpretation. I think I would just would like to be remembered. Um, I think that's like something I've always really wanted. Is that um, you know, especially as somebody who creates things for um, not just for a living, but also like as a passion. I just would like to be remembered. I would like to have done something that that lives on past me. Mm. Yeah, nice, good answer. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast. Where, where can people check you out and, and follow you on socials? Uh, so the best place to follow me is probably Twitter, uh, and I'm at Yoni Weisberg, which is Y O N I W E I S B E R G. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram, where I've got an account under the same handle that's for film stuff, and then my illustration Instagram is Art by Yoni. Nice one. There you go. Thank you for being on the show. No worries, man. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Stop recording. Hey. Nice one. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I love chatting with Yoni, especially another Liverpool fan, um, and hearing his stories about North Korea was, was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, please do go and leave us a five-star review if you, if you can on wherever you're listening to the podcast, um, along with uh, checking out the link for Logo Package Express down in the description for $20 off and saving yourself a load of time. Uh, thank you very much. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. Cheers. Oh. <laughs>